0: Hello and welcome to Series 4, Episode 5 of the Manchester United Weekly Podcast. We conveniently, although accidentally, managed to skip an episode for our humiliating 3-0 defeat to Spurs. But we're back to discuss that and our comfortable 2-0 away victory against Burnley and a lot more. We're answering a few big questions today and in answering those we'll also discuss Mourinho, Shaw, Pogba, Woodward, Fellaini, Lukaku, Lingard, Pochettino and others. Um, Jack, we're starting with Mourinho. Because, as ever, the the roller coaster of Manchester United's news surrounds Jose Mourinho throughout the week, and for Mourinho it has been it's kind of been a roller coaster for two weeks. If we go back to about half nine on Monday, August the twenty seventh, so just as United are three 0 down to Spurs, ten minutes from the end of the game, and Mourinho is in a position where he's pulled off this tactical surprise at the start of the game, has gone well for about half. And then it's completely failed and his side of capitulated in the first, in the second half without any response at all. You take his position ten minutes later, and Mourinho is now respected, trusted by a portion of United's fan base at least, and a, a significant fraction of those are match-going United fans who appreciate his gesture at the end with the Stretford end of the end of the Spurs game. And then a week later they go on to chant his name, the whole the whole match against Burnley. Half an hour later. And he's in a confused position. He's shouting respect to journalists three times in, in a wreath of function style and then brought out a ridiculous stat about Premier League titles won and looks like a an old drunk uncle at a wedding party who's lost his head and is going mad. But then United's position the next morning... Is improved by Mourinho's seemingly absolutely mental press conference, which bewildered journalists and left them talking about him and a philosopher called Hegel rather than United's players and atrocious second half mistakes against Spurs. And then a week later, he's being hailed by United fans in New end at Burnley. He's directed his side to a solid performance at Turf Moor for a 2 0 win, and suddenly him and United are out of the news. Now, that's if we're ignoring issues with Pogba, a banner being flown by a plane over Turf Moor, Luke Shaw's comments and much more. So for Mourinho, quite the eventful start to the season and quite the eventful last two weeks. And Mourinho, know, but my main point from all of that, is Mourinho knows what he's doing most of the time, but I think it's a worrying sign that his behaviour with the media is getting more and more extreme because he has more and more extreme issues and problems at United for which he has to distract people from.
1: Pretty much business as usual for Mourinho, isn't it? All this? <laughs> uh No, you're, yeah, you're totally right. It does. I I, I understand why he's um, why he's doing all the sort of shenanigans with the media. He's trying to take pressure off the team, and it does work in, in a lot of ways. Like you said, the the, the uh, morning after the Spurs game, the headlines weren't about what was some very very poor mistakes in the second half against Spurs. It was all about Mourinho demanding respect in the press conference and how you know he's lost it and is completely losing his mind. And yes, it's not great a great look for Mourinho to have that or for the club, but it does take the pressure off the players somewhat. And it did stop the headlines being all about them. So I do understand what he's, what he's doing, but you're, you're right again in that what the reason why he's having to do all this is not, we not what we want. I don't mind him trying to protect the players and taking the pressure off them. I get that. I get why he's doing it. And I don't really mind that. The problem is that he has to do it because the players are under so much pressure because the results aren't good enough at the moment. You know, all right, there was a good performance against Burnley which we'll come on to and talk about a bit more in a bit but after the performance against Brighton and what was actually an okay performance against Spurs especially in the first half where we played pretty well and should have been ahead and then obviously capitulated in the second half but after those two performances it was our worst start since since 1994 or something um, you know, the thing, after that... We, being in that yeah. position is, is what's not ideal I don't mind him protecting the players but I'd rather us not be in a position where he has to do any protecting at all I'd rather be in a position where he can lord the players and, and praise them so much and that's what all the headlines be about so that's where the issue is and although Mourinho is trying to protect the players this is what can create instability at the club because people see it as Mourinho trying to hog the limelight and in a sort of weird sort of paradox it comes across as Mourinho trying to protect his own reputation and almost trying to throw his players under the bus it's like I'm more important than the players and even though I don't think that's what he's trying to do I can see how it comes across that way and it's just not ideal that that's the situation that we have to be in at the moment yeah
0: definitely it's an unwanted situation but since we're now in the international break we didn't record after Spurs Um, we didn't record straight after Burnley We're, we're in the middle of the the Probably in the most boring part of the season, which is the September international break, which just yeah. gets in the way horrendously. Even though we've now got the UEFA Nations League, which no one seems to understand, um, but but since we're <laughs> in the international break, it's it's probably worth kind of going through issues more in depth with Marino than simply talking about the last game that we've we've played, which is Burnley, because. He's kind of papering over the cracks a bit. And the three main issues I think Marino can fix this season. There's there's more issues in that, but I think the three ones he can fix is improving the impact of the the fringe players in our team players like Anthony Martial, Marcus Rashford, Juan Mata, Scott McTominay, Ashley Young now, those kind of players. That's the first one. The second one is the the need for an attacking system at United rather than just a collection of pretty good attacking players, and the third one, which a lot of people have said, is is the need for a defensive pairing. But just starting with the fringe players, one, I guess the point is United have a good starting eleven on paper, and and the key for a title challenging side or even a side getting top four is that when that on paper those players who are good on paper are having bad form, which seems to be the case with at least half of United's team throughout the season kind of changing every week. You need the fringe players to come in and and make an impact and be able to put pressure on players like Paul Pogba, Alexis Sanchez, Romelu Lukaku and make them think, I need to improve, I need to step up my level in training and matches and do that. And you look at Liverpool, you've got uh why is keeping fabinho who signed in the summer from from monaco he's keeping fabinho out the side um at spurs who thrashed us partly because of lucas Moore, who's come into the side to replace um human song who was away on international duty didn't have the best season last year but has started this season brilliantly and has come in and is now putting pressure on son who i'm sure will come back from international duty with even more motivation and it's putting pressure on, on those kind of players. Yeah. Bernardo Silva at Man City is another one. Leroy Sané is, is starting spot in the team, is could be sacrificed for someone like Bernardo Silva. Same goes for Sterling. He's, cu- he's pushing the rest of the players forward. And at United, there's, I have this worry that Mourinho is so intent on getting the starting 11 right, which he, he doesn't usually do anyway, given our results. Um, th- the worry is that the players on the bench, there's no way that they're going to be consistently good off the bench if they're not they're not being seen as important by the manager. Someone like Anthony Marshall, yes he hasn't been good enough. Someone like Marcus Rashford, yes he hasn't been good enough. Yeah. But they can't walk into the team off the bench and suddenly make an impact if they're not seen as important by the manager. Well, and I and that's... Think
1: for those players, even when they have come off the bench and played well, they then haven't been given the opportunity to stay there, to stay in the team. It's always just been sort of deferred back to whoever had the start role in the first place. So for them it gives them less motivation to to be, you know, work really hard in training and to play well when they come off the bench.
0: Yeah, and I, th- I think that's a worry, whereas at City, at Liverpool, at Spurs, I think at Spurs particularly, um, where you've got competition between players like Ben Davies and, and Danny Rose um, and Trippier and previously Walker before he left, then there's kind of that constant turnaround of players, but there's always competition between players in that side. And, Is Lucas Moura better than Alexis Sanchez? No. Is Ming Song better than Alexis Sanchez? No. Is Rashford better than Moura? No, but they're probably at a similar level. United's fringe players aren't that much worse than City, Spurs and Liverpool, yet they're not having the same impact, which makes United so much worse because when we get injuries, when we have players suspended like we do with Rashford now, when we need someone to change the game off the bench, we have no one to bring on because those fringe players are seemingly undervalued by Mourinho and not given the chances after they do do impress as you said.
1: I think I think there's a few probably three aspects to this. So I I'm, the first one for me is that I'm going to disagree slightly with what with one thing you said. I don't think our fringe players are as good as City. Because City's squad is insane. We don't have we don't have a mm. set of wingers Leroy Sané, Raheem Sterling, Riyad Mahrez and Bernardo Silva. No, I I mean,
0: I'll give you that but um, it's, it's but it's difficult to compare to, with City, yeah. Compare yeah, him with Liverpool Yeah, but compared and Spurs. to like
1: Liverpool and Spurs, I agree. I, we're, it's pretty similar. So that, that's the first as- aspect. I will give Mourinho somewhat of a... Not a pass, but be a bit more lenient on him there. But two, the lack of an attacking system hurts us because when we just rely on individuals the whole time, it, it then really does begin to rely a lot more on relationships between players. You know, you look at Pogba and Lukaku. who have had a really good relationship since Lukaku came to United. Really good friends off the pitch. Struck up a good, um, good relationship on the pitch, and it really showed, especially um, last season. Then when you bring someone in who maybe doesn't play with them quite as regularly, those, those sort of that link up that relationship is is gone. And when we don't have an actual system they can slot into it does rely on relationships between players way too much and it means that any rotation interrupts that a lot. Whereas if you have a system, say like at City, you can play any one of those four wingers or you can play Jesus instead of Aguero and the, the team isn't interrupted too much because everyone knows where they should be and what the system demands of them at any one time. Then the yeah. third aspect of it is about the way that players improve or don't improve, which has been the case more so at United. Since... Probably since Louis van Gaal took over at United, can you name me three players that have significantly improved since they came to United?
0: Uh, I've, Jesse Lingard is the obvious one. Yeah. I'd say, well, significantly improved, I think Jesse Lingard and Ashley Young are probably the only yeah. two and I'd give you Valencia but Valencia hasn't significantly improved enough to be the, at the level of a United starting right back in a title winning team and
1: even and even Ashley Young was imp- really he was improving from a dip in his career yeah. he's really now just back at where he was when he sort of in like the 2012 season What was that when we beat Arsenal two? Yeah. Like that kind of season yeah, is what I fair. remember of Ashley Young being great that, which is ridiculous when you think about how many players we've signed how many young players we've signed in that time and players coming through the academy. The only other one I would maybe say is Rashford, but I don't think he's improved to a point where you could say he's twice the player he is now When to, as to, opposed to when he came into the side. And when you think about how many young players we've signed, it's, it's pretty pretty ridiculous, really, that so few players have really, really improved. And that's, I think, one of the main things that we need to work on. If you go back to when, um, to when Sir Alex was in charge, we didn't actually make that many blockbuster signings. The only ones, really, that I can remember were Berbatov. But I'm talking about people who were real, already bona fide stars in their own right. The only ones that I can think of is Berbatov and, to some degree, Ferdinand, who wasn't really a, a star, but he was he was definitely a, a rising yeah, star. Yeah, you can add
0: Van Persie to that. Yeah. And... And,
1: and whereas we, we relied mainly on players like Nemanja Vidic, like Patrice Evra. Players who... Weren't household names when we signed them, but were pretty good and then and then established themselves under Ferguson. Even even Ronaldo is probably a perfect, maybe not perfect example because he was a sort of young player who already had a lot of potential. But we relied on players who were probably pretty average when they first joined us. I remember Vidic's first game, I'm pretty sure it was against Wolves in the FA Cup. I remember it because I remember him, he looked good mainly, but there were some dodgy moments and he wasn't great with his feet. Um, and and that, that those were the kind of players that we relied on and we haven't had a signing like that in the last three or four years who's come to us as a sort of okay player and then improved a lot to become a very good player since they've been at United there just isn't anyone like that and that is what you need in your fringe players you need them to be improving and training to then put pressure on the starters
0: yeah I think the the other issue you mentioned there about the need for an attacking system is is the second main issue for us. Um and going back to that it's just is there there is no system there. It's the same as the defense there's no there's no consistency. You know needs some consistency in their in their starting lineup and at least some consistency in their system if we're not going to have that in the in the starting 11. Because there's all this talk about Fellaini being Plan B, but we've said this. I think we said it on the last episode after the Brighton game is that United have no Plan A. There's no obvious style of play um, system that that is obviously gonna gonna break a team down. We wait for chances to to present themselves rather than proactively seeking them out. And by being proactive means you you're constantly playing with a consistent style of play that wears down defences like Spurs do, like Liverpool do, like City do. And I think there was something you mentioned where I didn't want to interrupt, but um, you mentioned City players can come in and, and adapt to the system straight away because it's so set and structured, even though it looks very fluid. I think the same is true with Spurs, where Kimmich yeah. Song leaves the system, they can change it very slightly, go to two up front instead of one up front with Kane. Mora comes in to play behind Kane, but. It's the same. There's still confidence in that system.
1: Well, in midfield too, you think about the quartet of Dembele, Wanyama, Winks and Dyer, Each of them, when they come into the team, they know what their role is. Yeah,
0: definitely. And they can go from a back three to a back four. It doesn't matter because they're they're well trained on that. They know everyone knows their role rather than simply the defence and then leave the attackers to be free. And for a side who dominate possession in most games like United, because... Teams know how to play against us. Is you let us have possession, we won't do anything yeah. for eighty minutes. Maybe we'll hit the bar in the ninetieth minute, but you'll still get a draw against us, and you'll probably Just try and you'll probably it, score against us on the counter as well because our defence isn't good enough. But for a team who do dominate possession. It's it's fatal to your season to not have a proper system or style of play and attack because sometimes it's Lukaku isolated, sometimes it's Sanchez not really having a role, sometimes being wide, sometimes being central, sometimes it's Pogba playing all over the pitch, sometimes he's deep as a playing diagonal balls all over the pitch and sometimes he's playing up front, um chesting balls down and then doing little flicks with him. And yes, sometimes it is the players, but it's also the system itself not being well thought through enough.
1: To me, it, it looks like most of the time, Mourinho really wants us to be a team that can adapt really well to any situation, which is great. I, I actually really like that. I think sometimes, I especially thought it was about um, Unai Emery's first game as, um, with Arsenal against City on the opening day. I thought Emery was too stubborn and he should have adapted to what City were, were uh, the, the challenge that City were posing because Arsenal just kept making the same mistake over and over again. So being able to adapt is great. I love that. I think that's a really, really important team, uh, thing for a team to be able to do. But it almost looks like we've gone too far the other way. And that we're so focused on being able to play three, four, five different ways that every every game, you don't know which United is going to come out on the pitch. We, we talked exactly about this in the last episode. Every week, I don't know whether we're going to be a counter-attacking team. I don't know whether we're going to be a team that likes to get the ball wide early and put crosses into the box. I don't know whether we're going to be a team that dominates possession, but tries to play everything in front of the de- uh, in front of the defence. I don't know if we're going to be a team that's trying to play a load of intricate quick passes around the box. E- every single week it seems to change. And then occasionally you get um, Fellaini thrown on in the last 20 minutes and we go just, just become a long ball team. And, you know, it's great to be able to do all of that, but you need a set style. You need an identity as a team and that's what we don't have.
0: Yeah, you need a place from which to adapt. You don't get that United at all at the moment. Yeah, exactly. Um, the top four for the most number of touches of the ball in the penalty area is Manchester City, then Liverpool, then Spurs, and then Chelsea, which is probably indicative of something. Um, and United are 15th in that table, above only Newcastle, Wolves, Cardiff, Brighton, and Huddersfield. And that's not a, it's not a measure for everything, but it is a measure of how often you manage to create chances and get into the penalty area because that's where being honest the most threatening chances are and I think that that evidences that complete lack of an ability to break teams down and that for a top side is is ridiculous especially after two and a half seasons of Mourinho being at the club
1: yeah absolutely that is that is the way we play it's all very very sort of in front of the defence let's play the ball around from Pogba to Fred, maybe out to Shaw, maybe out the other way to Valencia, maybe once or twice pass it forward to Martial or, or or Rashford or Alexis or whoever it might be. Inevitably turn back, it will go back to Pogba. Pogba will try and beat a man, maybe he'll do it, maybe he won't. If he loses the ball, the other team goes on a counter-attack and maybe scores if, if Smalling or Lindelof or Bailly make a mistake. And that's pretty much what it's become in a lot of our games. And we need so much more of an identity because it does, at the moment, just rely on individual brilliance. And sometimes you do need to rely on, indiv- on individual brilliance. You know, as good a coach as Pep Guardiola or Mauricio Pochettino might be, if you give them a, a bunch of League Two players, they're not going to get the same results as what City and Spurs are getting because sometimes you do need individual brilliance to get you out of a hole or to, to really put that system into great effect. I understand that. But it doesn't that doesn't mean that you just rely on individual greatness all the time. It's why when there are exhibition games, when leagues and and in other sports all over the world, when they have these like all-star games... It's why, in those games, they always never play very well. A, because, I mean, often they're not trying that hard because it's an exhibition game, but also because there's no system. They've never played together before. Uh. And it's it's the same thing with with internationals. You know, I think that's why so many people were so impressed with what Gareth Southgate did this summer, because for once, there was an international team, or an England team anyway, that had a real identity. And it's hard to do that when you have a group of players that don't play with each other every week. But there's no excuse for that at club level. If if you are together every single week, which they basically are apart from maybe a month every year, training with each other every day, there is absolutely no excuse for not having an, identi- having an identity. And that doesn't mean that your identity is, oh, in big games we sit deep and play on the counter-attack. That's not an identity. Just being known as a defensive team is not an identity because most of that comes from when you go forward. That's how you really build an image for yourself and that's what people remember you for as a team. And it's also what makes people want to go and play for you. Um, whether these are true or not, there's been a lot of stories in the last couple of years of players sort of not saying they don't want to go to United because of the style of football, because you know they don't really want to play under Mourinho. And while I'm sure quite a lot of those stories don't have that much basis, it says a lot that we all believe them because they, they are very believable stories. I could definitely see someone like, I don't know, maybe Bernardo Silva saying that he doesn't want to come to United because he doesn't understand the way what he's going to be asked to do or how you know the way that he's going to be asked to play it does make complete sense and it's a real issue that we need to sort out but it's something that Mourinho's teams have never really had they've always relied on on individuals you think back to Chelsea in his first in there he had the likes of Lampard Essien Drogba and they had brilliant individuals all over the pitch then at Inter admittedly to credit to Mourinho he sort of built a great team and um had Samuelito and Diego Melito playing at world-class levels and Wesley Schneider, who I think probably got robbed at the Ballon d'Or that year, and then went to Real Madrid where he had Ronaldo and then came back to Chelsea where he had Hazard. And at every one of these these places going forward, he really did rely on on in, individual greatness. And although we do have some great individuals, our best player is a central midfielder in in Paul Pogba, in my opinion, or outfield player anyway. Maybe, probably De Gea is better yeah. than him. But it's very difficult for a midfielder, just because of the nature of the position, to be someone that can single-handedly win games for you, it does often come down to wingers and strikers because ultimately they're the ones that can create these game-changing moments. And as good as Alexis Sanchez might be on his day and as good as Lukaku might be on his day, neither of them are at the level of the likes of Hazard or Ronaldo or Etu and Melito when they were at Inter with Mourinho. We don't have that kind of player that we can rely on week in, week out. And in the la- it, with when you lack that, you then have to make up for it by having a really great system, and, and we just don't have that. Yeah,
0: definitely. I think we do. We we have that player in both Alexis Sanchez and Paul Pogba, in terms of in terms of talent, but we don't have that in terms of their actual performances. Yeah. And part of that is probably
1: going back. Sorry, just to quickly interrupt to what we were saying earlier about um, not being challenged for their starting role because Alexis pretty much knows that no matter how badly he plays, he's going to start every week. Partly because we had to shell out so much money to get him, and partly because any time Rashford or Martial or Lingard come in and play really well, Alexis just comes straight back in every single week. Yeah, And and very rarely gets subbed off as well.
0: Whereas in the defence, you get dropped after pretty much anything, which is is part of the issue. Eric Bailly was dropped after the Brighton game for the Spurs game, I think. So was Lindelof. Yep. Um, and then came back as a as a very late sub against Burnley, I think. Um, but that's the problem. We've used eight defensive pairings in our last 11 games. We've used Smalling and Lindelof three times, Bayern, Lindelof twice. Herrera, Smalling and Jones once, Bayern, Rojo once, Smalling and Rojo once, Lindelof, Smalling and Jones once, Smalling and Jones once, and Bayern, and Smalling once. And it's just, it's a joke. I mean... It, it's it's silly and it's it goes against everything you you have Mourinho down for as well of of solidity yeah. consistency uh, stability certainty. One thing that Mourinho was, was famous
1: for was for having pretty much the same eleven every single week wherever he went. because yeah. he always knew what his best team was when he was, especially his first in at Chelsea. You knew every single week that um, centre back pairing was Terry and Carvalho every single week, and even. Um, and I I used to play centre back when I when I played football and I I can tell you firsthand that the guy that I used to play with my centre back partner Owen me I, I hated playing with anyone else because we understood each other and we complemented each other in the way that we played probably more so than any position on the pitch centre backs need a partner and they need to have defined roles within within that defence and when you're playing with someone new every single week I know you were going to be training with them but it's not the same as playing in a game if you look at any time United and pretty much any team really have been very very successful in history. All of our great teams had very very solidified and very constant consistent centre back yeah. partnerships.
0: Any any good United team and any pretty much any good team in in football history, um, wherever you go, wherever no matter if they're if they're good at playing the ball out from the back, they just have to be solid. Is uh, is the first demand. Um, I mean, we don't really yeah. need to say. I th- I think it's just the fact that. Even if they make mistakes, if if you think they're your best two defenders, just stick with it through those mistakes. Exactly. And I I don't know if, I don't know why Mourinho doesn't because it seems so out of character and, for him. But there, there's not a huge amount more to say about well, it the, the, than the fact that we just do need to stick with the partnership.
1: Yeah, and and the, and the thing that bugs me even more is that I could understand chopping and changing after every mistake if we were sort of at a point where the title is on the line right now and you can't afford to let people get away with mistakes in and sort of the, not excuse, but the reason to not drop them is, oh, we're building towards the future and they're going to improve as players. But Mourinho constantly tells us that our squad is not good enough to win the title, that we're way behind City and Liverpool, that we can't compete with them this season because they spend too much. And if that if that's the case, then we should be building for the future and trying to improve these players. And if that's the case, then you shouldn't be dropping Bailly and Lindelof, two young players who I think have pretty bright futures certainly much brighter this morning than the Smalling and Jones after one mistake against Brighton uh, yes it's, I'm not yeah. saying that you shouldn't you shouldn't tell them off for it but it shouldn't be oh you made a mistake you're terrible you're not playing it should be you made a mistake here's what you have to do to learn from it and next game when I play you again and give you a vote of confidence you won't make that mistake
0: again yeah Definitely. Right, we we should move on because we've been on, on those three issues for quite a while. Um, Mourinho applauding the supporters in the Stretford end after the Spurs game. Uh, yes, it might be a ploy, but I couldn't really care and I don't think most people care because if it is a ploy, it's clear that he understands that the supporters are important at United. So that's, that can only be a positive. Uh, I, I've, to me, it seems... It's Mourinho's way of uniting him and the fans in a battle against Woodward and the Glazers. Because that, that is how Mourinho works with conflict. And after the Spurs game, there was a lot of anti-Woodward feeling. We saw we saw Banner on a plane at Burnley, which is silly. Yeah. And we'll leave it at that because it's, it just is silly. But, but to be anti-Woodward after that game was right. Because Woodward refused to buy the players the team needed, which made performances on the pitch worse. He then briefed against his own manager, who he'd handed a new contract to seven months before, making performances on the pitch worse. And then he undermined the managers later by making performances worse. Um, and there was a good quote from, I think it was Daniel Harris on Twitter, who said, United are a football club, not a penis extension, <laughs> which I think summed up Edward Wood's attitude or... Edward Wood's wrong attitudes towards Manchester United and the future of the club. Now, Luke Shaw, United's player of the season so far, um, without a doubt, without and doubt, yeah. the recipient of the August Player of the Month award at United. He's revealed on England duty that he nearly lost his leg in 2015 after that horrendous double leg break against PSV in, uh, in the Champions League. I think it was September 2015, nearly what, it must be three years ago now, almost a they He also admitted they hadn't worked hard enough at times since then, including under Mourinho. And I guess that, that leaves us with some kind of more solid conclusions than we could have had a few weeks ago, because Mourinho isn't completely at fault for Shaw's poor form before this, um, but he shouldn't be given all the credit for Shaw's good form now, which is pretty much what Shaw said, actually. Because Mourinho wanted to sign a new left-back, prioritised other signings in the end, as in a centre-back and a right-winger, who he didn't get anyway. So it, it, it's not some stroke of genius, but at the same time, it is an example of how tough love has its benefits. It worked with Mikatarian temporarily, it's worked with Shaw now. Not all of it is down to Mourinho's harsh treatment in the media, but Shaw did say Mourinho was probably right with pretty much everything he said. So I guess it's, it's a conclusion which is at a sensible halfway point between praising and criticizing both player's player and manager for being bad at one thing and good at another thing which is uh, strange in football which is usually so full of extremes.
1: I actually loved this interview by sure. I thought it was great. He was very very humble, and very open and very honest about uh, sort of the troubles that he's had before, what he's struggled with and how great he feels now to be able to to play at the level that that we all know that he can and to to really starting to be realising his potential. I think it's, it's good what, very true what you just said about sort of stop short of giving all the credit to Mourinho but also recognising that Mourinho pro- probably was right to criticise Shaw in the way that he did. Maybe not so publicly but that Shaw did deserve some criticism and that he didn't work so hard which to be fair to Mourinho is a criticism that's been levelled at Shaw by other coaches in the past as well. It's not just something that Mourinho has said. But I think... For me, the way that this has sort of shaken out is that the way I see it, anyway, is that Mourinho hasn't improved Shaw as a player, but maybe has motivated him a bit more to become that player that he was back in twenty fifteen again. Is is the way that I see. It. I don't think yeah. Shaw is playing better now than he did in the first few weeks of that twenty fifteen season before the horrible leg leg break. Uh, He's probably playing at pretty much the same level which is a very, very high level but still one that I think he can improve from. Uh, So I don't think Mourinho has improved him as a player at this point but he has managed to motivate him again after some really troubling times and when he's was sure himself has admitted that he didn't really work hard enough through those times to to get back to where he was in that 2015 season.
0: Yeah, he said he's grown from a he's finally grown from a kid to a man. I mean, he came to he came yeah. to United, I think, age 19, possibly 18, but I think 19. Um, well,
1: and I think because he came into the Southampton side so young, even though he's what is he 24 now? 23?
0: No, 22, I think.
1: 22 that's what I mean even though he's only he's only let's say 22 he's been around for 6 years already and i think people forget that it's very easy to think he's a really experienced player but he's been a, he's probably been in, in and around the first team of whatever club he's been at for twice as long as Jesse Lingard but he's still what 5 4 years younger than Lingard yeah so it's just things like that because he's been around the first team for so long it makes you feel like he's a lot older than he is when actually he's still got a lot to learn even now so I was
0: just checking his age he is yeah. 23 not 22 okay. um, but the point remains for a 23 year old to have this much experience incl- including bad experiences yeah. is is astonishing really and to have this much time left in his career to now make himself as he said his ambition is to be the best left back in the world to make himself that he has got as much time as he wants because the peak of a left back you'd probably say is about 27, 28 a bit later than, than a striker or or midfielder um, and a bit earlier than a, than a keeper and a defender so he's got the time left and hopefully he now is given a contract but not yet I think it would be very easy to get carried away with a very good start in the first four games when the rest of United's players have looked pretty poor and Shaw has looked slightly above average, particularly above average for his own performances usually. Um, and I don't want I don't think he'll get carried away, but I worry that a lot of United fans and potentially Mourinho too will get carried away so that next time Shaw plays badly or has a run of even four or five games where he's not brilliant that Shaw will then have a, a sharp fall back downed, um off the cliff edge and, and have to do it all over again because that would be a, a massive shame. It's only been four games, but it does look very good. Now, Paul Popper had a great first game of the season against Leicester uh, as the captain. Then captain United against Brighton, said his attitude wasn't good enough as captain of Manchester United and since then has had Gerard Piquet say he'd love to have him at Barcelona. Luis Suarez say he'd love to have him at Barca. Uh, Jordi Mestre, I think it is, executive vice president of Barcelona, say he's a um, unique and exceptional player or something along those lines. Uh, he, that was quite a funny one the Barcelona vice president said we don't talk about players at other clubs but I have read that Pogba is very unhappy at Man United and his agent has tried to sell him and he is a player of exceptional quality and he just thought those are two very very contrasting statements <laughs> um, now it would actually be quite easy to take Pogba's side against Mourinho but that would only be the case if his behaviour and his poor performances had both been very good and and they just haven't and I've, they're just immature comments from a 25-year-old midfielder who's coming into the peak of his career. And I, I don't mind the fact he wants to leave, but and I think it's now pretty clear that he probably does want to leave um, at the end of the season. I, 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 mean, it's frustrating and it's annoying because he could be a great player at United. I think he will probably go at the end of next season unless Mourinho goes. Then there's a there's a chance for him staying. But it's it's the way he goes about it towards the end of Ronaldo's United career he'd pretty much earned the right to talk with whoever he wanted and to to follow his dream of playing for Real Madrid at the Bernabeu who for most Portuguese and Brazilian players they dream of playing for Barcelona or Real Madrid and not Manchester United he'd he'd earned that right because he was the best player in the world he was the most important player for United the best player in England scored 44 goals um, no 42 goals I think it was in a season but Pogba has won a couple of minor trophies with Man United in the League Cup and, and Europa League which were very good at the time, remained good to win in terms of motivating the squad but aren't the FA Cup, aren't the um, the Premier League or the Champions League both of which Ronaldo won with United. Popper is not putting the same effort in that Ronaldo did, has not had the same behaviour even though Ronaldo treated United pretty poorly be- be- before he left. Pobba's not doing it quite to the same level, but hasn't got the right to do it at all. They're, they're just completely needless comments. I'll always give 100% no matter what which coach. First of all, the the which coach is, um, is just c- completely inflammatory. And then this is two weeks after saying, as Man United captain, my attitude wasn't right. It's the fact that Pogba has never managed to get 10 performances in a row of consistent quality at a good level. And yet he somehow thinks he has the right to go around saying these things. Because, I mean, they're pretty standard for for footballer these days. It's the fact he hasn't earned the yeah, right Yeah, I agree. To
1: do I, I think Pogba, I think, is in a weird position. Um, and probably in a weird position in his relationship with United fans. I think he's idolised by so many people because he is probably very close to our best player and is definitely capable of being one of the best, if not the best midfielder in the world. And at times produces performances that that speak to that and rightly gets a lot of plaudits for it. He probably also feels that the reason why he's not performing like that quite so much is because of the coach. But at the same time, bears a lot of responsibility on his shoulders to kind of overcome some of the deficiencies of of his coach at the moment in, in an attacking sense that I think we all realise do exist. But that some of that responsibility has to be on Pogba too. And he has to realise that... It, it's up to him a lot of the time as one of the more senior players in the squad now, maybe not in terms of age, but in terms of experience and in terms of expectation as well, that he has to step up more and really become a leader in our squad, not just with what he says, but what he does on the pitch, as he did with France at the World Cup. And it does seem to me like Pogba seems to be... and I. I I'm not saying this because of his image or anything like that. I actually don't really care about what colour Pogba's hair is or how many times he changes his haircut or what colour boots he has or any of this stuff. But he does seem very concerned with the way that he comes across to people, I would say. Not so much in his image, just the way that people think about him. And it seems like a lot of this stuff is him trying to cover his bases, is cover his bases even, to the media um, and trying to stop people thinking thinking badly about him I don't know if that that might just be me reading way too much into it but that's the kind of vibe I get from what Pogba's trying to say it's it's trying sort of take responsibility for things where he thinks people will give him respect for doing so and then everything else try and push onto other people whether that's the constraints that the club put on him because we'd fine him for saying what he really wants, or whether that's the coach, where you know, very pointedly saying, no matter which coach I'm playing under, I will give my best for the team. Everything like that is just so inflammatory and pretty unnecessary in a lot of ways. And as you said, Ronaldo, despite treating the club pretty badly towards the end of his time at United, um, and really not turning his back on United, but really kind of showing just how much he he thought of us as second fiddle to to um, Real Madrid. Like you said, he'd earned that right. If, if Pogba carries us to a Champions League and a Premier League double, he can say whatever he wants, I don't really care. But until he does that, he doesn't have the right to go around slandering the club and the manager and all the other players. And I understand why he's doing it. But the thing for me is that you, you have to earn, earn the right to, to say all this stuff and to act like you are the best player in a team because most players who are the best player in a team are humble enough to recognize the sort of efforts of their teammates and the staff around them around them. It's one reason why Rooney always endeared himself to fans so much, despite almost forcing a move out of the club twice and forcing massive contracts. He always was very humble about his own ability and what he brought to our team. And it's one reason why fans were able to forgive him for those things and move on. And I just think with Pogba, he needs to learn some of that sometimes. I am still hopeful that he can turn this around. I don't think it's a done deal that he will leave. um, Because I do actually, despite all this, genuinely think that Pogba does really love the club. Um, And I think he is happy to be back at the club, but maybe not part of this team and this setup. And that's maybe what needs to change. I think if Mourinho was to go at the end of the season, Pogba probably would stay. And I think he genuinely does want to stay and help us win a Champions League win the Premier League but if it goes on for another year or two and it doesn't look like that's going to happen at some point I think Pogba is going to cut his losses and think I'm too good to to be in a team that has no chance of winning league titles or winning the Champions League and move on
0: I think I think the, the biggest issue is that you just would struggle to list three properly brilliant world class performances from a player who was at one point the most expensive player in the world, he'd struggle to list three brilliant performances in over two seasons of football, which comes to probably more than or around 100 games of football. And yet you can't name three very good performances. And arguably his best performance was against City in the 3-2 derby win because he scored two goals. And yet in the first half, just like everyone else in the team, he was pathetic. The one yeah, thing I do exactly. take issue with is the idea that this is down to like a, a new generation of footballers and their their new character. And yeah, it's probably different to 20 years ago, but the fans of the the 70s kind of bleating on about how this this didn't happen when they were kids is is ridiculous. It's uh, yeah. that was an era, supposedly the good old days of football where things were totally different because players had no power and could be for literally forced to stay at a club. Unlike any other job in the world, where the owners they the owners could direct them wherever they wanted to, and that was pre the Bosman ruling, and the ownership ran the ran the players like whatever they wanted to. And, well, and the other thing not,
1: is, you know, all these conversations still went on. It's just that yeah, exactly. it, it was it's not a not lot harder for people. Players to Players haven't about.
0: changed. Players haven't changed. It's just that circumstances yeah. have, and generally, generally for the better things like yet, social sometimes.
1: media and access to so many more news outlets just means that people can find out about this stuff a lot easier
0: yeah also true right um we should continue moving on because it's uh it's turning into a lengthy episode um Marwan Fellaini, very quick mention of his performance against Burnley because he was actually excellent um, yeah. covering the defence. Mourinho's decision to put Herrera at right back against Spurs didn't pay off, but his decision to play Fellaini holding midfielder against Burnley did. Um, covering the defence, every time Lindelof came near an aerial ball, Fellaini would run over and deal with it himself, which is actually very sensible. Um, and even though it's probably it is not a great image playing Fellaini against Burnley... Um, Away from home, it 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 ended up being sensible when he covered United. For once,
1: there was actually very good planning in the way that Fellaini was used. Yeah,
0: and and when we started, everyone saw Fellaini deep in midfield and thought, "Oh, what's the point of playing him there if you're if you're not gonna if you not if you're gonna play him and not just pump the ball up to him onto his chest? Then what's the point of playing him?" But really, it, it turned out to be a very good decision. And Fellaini, as always, fulfilled his duties very well. Even if we if if he's holding United back slightly. Romelu Lukaku on the other hand scored two goals yet missed another couple of brilliant chances missed an open goal against Spurs and there's this tendency for him to always try and take the keeper on even though yes he's got speed and yes he's got power but I, you constantly see Lukaku trying to take a keeper on go round the keeper when he's far too close to the goal and this is a player whose shot is actually extremely powerful and often extremely accurate and you think just, just... Just go straight away. Don't let the defender come near. You put pressure on you. Just take the shot. Beat the goalkeeper from there. And so it's often he like wants
1: to put himself in situations where he can't miss, but then ends up missing them does, because
0: yeah. of that. Yeah. Um, and yes, Lukaku now has three goals for the season in four games. Yes, that's good. He's one of the top scorers in the Premier League. But at the same time, like Zlatan Ibrahimovic two years ago. He's got a lot of goals and yet he's missing so many chances. Yeah. And for United, we, we create many less chances than the rest of the top teams. Uh, many fewer chances than the rest, for rest of the top teams, but we still miss a lot. And a lot of chances that you think we should really score. It's
1: really frustrating because I, so, I was so looking forward to watching Lukaku this season because he had a brilliant World Cup and he, the science from the back end of last season was so good. He was improving so much with the ball at his feet. And he's just regressed a little bit back to what he was at the start of last season. I hope it is just a little bit of rust off the back of the World Cup. There's other strikers that thinking more so about Harry Kane than anyone else. Just doesn't seem to be firing on all cylinders yet, I guess, after a busy summer. So ho- hopefully that's something to do with it and he will start improving his performances once he gets a little break, uh, maybe over the international break, and gets his match fitness back up to scratch. But yeah, a few worrying signs because he's also not contributing to the general play quite as much as he was at the back end of last season either? No,
0: not at all. Until Jesse Lingard came into the team who does actually change... Lukaku pretty significantly his movement and kind of support of Lukaku yep. stops him from being so isolated which he, he was massively against Brighton Lingard and would Spurs. be starting
1: every game for me at the moment on the right yeah, hand definitely. side with Alexis uh, and Lukaku in the no, front three there's
0: no debate about it Lingard makes Lukaku better and I would argue makes Sanchez Pogba, makes pretty much everyone around him better so
1: the first 20 minutes against Burnley sorry I know this is becoming a very long episode just very quickly the first 20 <laughs> minutes against Burnley was probably the best I've seen a front three for United play under Mourinho because the link up between them was excellent for once. It, Possibly, it, it yeah. wasn't just midfield to attack, it was actually between the attackers, which was great to see. Yeah, and the,
0: that is good. But the, the, at the same time, the disappointment about it is that it tailed off pretty much as yeah, soon we as we scored. Yeah, we didn't capitalise on it. And it's, it's an issue we've seen with Marino in the last two seasons, with Van Gaal's team in the two years he was there, and with uh, David Moyes as well, is that when we do play well, we very rarely capitalise on it. And it didn't at Burnley because they were tired Europa League team having played four days earlier on a Thursday night who didn't have that much energy and didn't seem to have that much determination to get back into the game. Well, and
1: I think a lot of it comes from the defence as well. We seem to just want to be shielding the defence the whole time because it's not good enough. We don't trust the players to defend on their own without any protection.
0: But had we been playing against a better team... Of, of the same level as Burnley, but who were less tired and yeah. fresher at the start of the season. I think we easily could have come away from, from that game having drawn, like we did at Stoke City yeah, last definitely. season when we drew Leicester. 2-2. Uh, Leicester, I think it was on Boxing Day when Harry Maguire scored in the last minute. There were so many examples of it last season. And... It seems like it probably will happen again. This time we we got away with it against Burnley, but I think it will happen again this season pretty regularly.
1: Nearly happened on the opening day against Leicester as well.
0: Yeah, and 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 we weren't that good then, but Leicester weren't great either. So, yeah. So, uh, we didn't record after the Spurs game, which means we didn't do our, our Burnley predictions publicly. We had one message saying, can you stop doing your predictions because every time we've done them, we've we've lost because we've only <laughs> done them for, for Brighton and Spurs so far and we've we've conceded three goals in each game. But uh, we're not doing any predictions this week because it's international break, but we can give you an update on the, the scores on the doors from Jack. Go on. Yeah,
1: so to update you all, for the Burnley game, Harry predicted... 2 1 to United with Lukaku to score, and I predicted 1 0 with Alexis to score. Uh, so I get one point for United winning, but nothing for the goal scorer. Harry, meanwhile, gets one point for United winning and a big two points for Lukaku to score. So even though this is Harry's first points of the season, he is now winning 3 uh, 2 because we both got zero points from the Spurs game. Well. So yeah, it's been a very low scoring affair so far. Ne- not- neither of us have got a, uh, a score <laughs> line right. And. I think I, we've only twice got uh, got the goal score right, and both of those have been Lukaku. So I might just start predicting Lukaku to score every week. It's
0: just it's confirmation of what we knew last season. is that we are terrible at predicting the score. Um,
1: yeah. Anyway, well, this th- is just an easier way to measure it. <laughs> yeah,
0: it's it just it's statistical confirmation that we are rubbish yeah. at, at what we do. Final thing we say before we wrap up the episode is. Some United fans will have seen this throughout the week, but Sky Sports have changed United's game from a Saturday lunchtime against Everton, which would have been Saturday, October the twenty-eighth. So that is in um, two months' time, or a month and two weeks' time ish. So it's not that close to the game. But the problem is that United fans and Premier League fans are constantly told that don't book anything um, until the TV dates are confirmed. This game was confirmed for Saturday lunchtime in, at the start of August and yet has now been changed again and there seems to be no compensation and there definitely was no consultation of United fans or Everton fans on the matter and it's because Spurs's or Tottenham's game against City has had to be changed to a Monday night from a Sunday afternoon because Wembley is being booked out and they haven't built their stadium in time. And it is just yet another example of the complete disregard of of supporters um, and it, it seems to happen to United a lot in the Champions League, but this is a, a Premier League wide issue so if you are a United fan who was going to Everton away and has had to rebook stuff like hotels or or anything like that or trains whatever go to the Manchester United supporters Trust website and sign something and, and fill in a survey about how much money you've lost then they're trying to get compensation for fans because it is quite frankly one of the most it's its probably the peak of the complete disregard of fans by the Premier League and by Sky Sports yeah. and it's, it's, it's shocking
1: especially because especially it was confirmed for TV before exactly it's different if it's a three o'clock if it was originally a three o'clock Saturday game when admittedly even though it's still very annoying they do tell fans not to book that's anything. fine yeah well, it's already confirmed for TV. It's a joke that it then got changed it, It's again. the
0: fact that they so constantly say, don't book until the TV's confirmed. They then confirmed the TV and then a month later decided that because they didn't... They, basically, they had to fill a Sunday 4pm gap because the Spurs game was now being moved to the Monday night football. They could have just left it empty. But because obviously they don't want to do that, because the broadcasters have paid a certain amount of money to show games, they, they moved it, even though United were already on T V. So it, it it's completely ridiculous and, and that's all there is to say about. It. But if you were going to that game, please go to the the Must website and see what they're doing about it because at least, I mean it's worth trying getting the word out there. Anyway, thank you for listening to a very long episode, Series 4, Episode 5 of the Manchester United Weekly Podcast. Sorry we weren't about last week, but this has been a pretty comprehensive breakdown of the start of the season from United, from Mourinho, from Luke Shaw, from Pogba, etc, etc. If you're enjoying the show, please leave us a review on iTunes. For more from us during the week, you can find Jack on Twitter at...
1: At tates T-A-I-T
0: and you can find me on Twitter at at HarryRobinson64 and the pod itself at at @UTDWeeklyPod. that's P-O-D at the end there. Thank you as always for listening have a great week, enjoy the UEFA Nations League and trying to work out how it actually works Goodbye Network.